All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I am so glad that you are here. If you have a Bible, we're going to be all over the place this morning, but go ahead and find uh, Philippians chapter 4, and I will, I'll meet you there uh, in a few minutes, all right? So uh, Philippians chapter 4 for right now. You see the screen says resolved, uh, and that's because we are in 2023. Uh, I know that we're, this is a week, the second Sunday of 2023, but we weren't together last week. So this is our first time back together. Welcome to 2023. Uh, welcome to a new year. I'm glad that we are ready to kick off the new year in the youth ministry. And I, and I really do. I hope that you've enjoyed somewhat of a, a break. Maybe it's a break for you over these last few weeks. I don't know if you're like me where I love a break like that. And then I get pretty quickly ready for the rhythm of life to come back. Like I don't like to kind of float around. I want to have some structure. Maybe you're like, no, I hate the structure. I just want to be free. Um, but we're, we're back in it, right? So whether it's back to school or back to different clubs or organizations, we're, we're kicking back in. So just a little bit of a roadmap as you're finding Philippians 4. Um, and if you're signing the roll sheet, that would be great. If you're, if you're not turning to, to face, if you're not able to face me directly, if you turn your chair to face me, that'd be awesome. But let me give you a little bit of a roadmap to where we're headed. So next weekend is Fuel. And it is going to be packed. Uh, I'm so encouraged by the turnout of registration. Uh, the room is going to be full, and that's always a fun thing. So we'll be in here Sunday morning next week, wrapping up our study on technology in the Christian life. We're going to spend all weekend talking about technology and the Christian life. And I'm, I'm really excited for that. I hope you'll join me this week in praying that the Lord might use that in our lives. Then, starting in January 22nd, so the next Sunday, we'll begin a semester-long series through the book of Ecclesiastes. So, probably not your favorite book of the Bible. You may have never read it. That's okay. Uh, but it is profitable for us because it's God's Word. And so, we're going to kind of uh, shift from Fuel Weekend, where, spoiler alert, it's technology in the Christian life, but the big idea is we need wisdom right? We need wisdom to navigate the tools that we have at our disposal. And so we'll kick off uh, into Ecclesiastes, which is all about getting wisdom. And what does it mean to be wise? So I encourage you even now, if you're not familiar with Ecclesiastes, take some time to read it. Uh, spend some time in the book of Ecclesiastes. Hear from the, the wise man, uh, which reminds me of the reading plan that we've given you. So if you're not a part of the group me, uh, no big deal. We can get that to you. But, but we have a reading plan for the spring semester, uh, six days a week, spending time in God's Word together. Um, and so if you're not in that just yet, today's a catch-up day, and you can read a couple of chapters of Scripture and get caught up. Um, we've just started this past week, so you're not too far gone yet, all right? So uh, my encouragement would be uh, to, to read that alongside the rest of the folks in the youth ministry so that we know what we're doing and we're uh, staying on the same page, pun intended. But today, uh, my aim is to stop for a bit and consider how we might look ahead to 2023. So around New Year's, maybe this is true in your family, maybe not, but around this time of year, many people make resolutions. They're like, I'm going to make a resolution to do this or to go to this place or to do these things. They come up with goals that they want to achieve or practices and skills they want to grow in. Maybe they want to get uh, stronger. Maybe they want to learn a new language. Maybe they want to say, this is the year that I make all A's in school. Maybe you have some resolutions already. Great. Maybe your family makes resolutions. Hey, we as a family this year are going to do these things. That's awesome. But one of the most common resolutions around this time for people is something like, I want to be more healthy. 
right? Like they're looking ahead at the new year and they're like, summer's coming. I got this much time. I want to get more healthy. And you're like, what does that mean? You're like, I don't really know. I just want to be more healthy, right? And a lot of people will define that specific to them. It may be related to weight. It may be related to activity level. It may just be, I just want to drink more water, right? And not be dehydrated all the time. It may be something more mental or meditative. I want to grow in my mental health, something like that. I'm not a doctor. That's very clear. But I am one of the pastors here. So I want to ask a question as it relates to us. What does it mean for Christians to be healthy? What does it mean to be a healthy Christian? For our purposes this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. Someone who thought about this as a young man, a teenager even, was a man named Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is one of the greatest intellectual minds that America has ever produced. He was a pastor in New England during the first Great Awakening around the time of the colonial uh, revolution. Uh, But early in his life in ministry, starting when he was 19 years old, he wrote down a list of what came to be 70 resolutions for how he was going to live his life. These were rules for life for Edwards. So listen, just I'm just going to give you resolution one, all right? I will do whatever I think will be most to God's glory and my own good, profit, and pleasure for as long as I live. I will do all these things without any consideration of the time they take, resolved to do whatever I understand to be my duty, and will provide the most good and benefit to mankind in general. Resolve to do this. Whatever difficulties I encounter, and no matter how many, how many I experience or how severe they may be. That's resolution one that he wrote down at 19, and there were 70 of them. Uh, so so the, spoiler alert, you and I are not Jonathan Edwards. All right? He's a peculiar person in the life of history. Um, but there is something that we can learn from him. And there's a kind of intentionality that Edwards had that we might glean from. Edwards could write this for himself primarily, fundamentally, because his heart had been gripped by the gospel. He's able to say, I can orient my life to these things because Jesus has already given me everything I could ever want or need in life. Right? I can free myself up to glorify God and serve to the good and benefit to mankind, not just for my own satisfaction, although that is part of it, because his heart was gripped by the gospel. We in our sin cannot measure up to the glory of God. We fall short. But Jesus has come and made a way, saving us from our sins and uniting us to himself by faith. So for Edwards and for us, living a life like this, a life that's resolved, for God's glory and for the good of others. It isn't isn't to earn a right standing before God. We're not orienting our lives, resolving to do certain things so that we might earn a certain standing before the Lord. No, it's a response to having already received it. The gospel gives us a new paradigm for success in this life. If I have Jesus, I have everything. More than YouTube and social media influencers, athletes and celebrities, God's word helps us to understand what it means to run this race well. So we begin this morning and this year with the truth that everything we do matters because everything we do is tied to worship. We're always worshiping something. We're always devoting ourselves to something or someone or some idea. So I want to spur you on this morning to do what you're made for. 
We want to join Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.31 when he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So this morning, we're going to look at four areas of our lives and think about what a healthy Christian might strive for. Again, not to earn, not because we're trying to earn some kind of right standing or merit before God, but in response to having already received the love of God, to having already received the promise of eternal life. And there's a quick note before we go into these four areas. Uh, personal willpower and hustle is like a big thing in social media culture, right? Like you just got to grind and hustle and like go hide for a while and let nobody see you. And, and you come out like, you don't have what it takes to be a healthy Christian by yourself. You do not have the equipment required to do this on your own. You need others to help you. Salvation, one author says, is a community-creating event. So when you become a believer, you become a believer in the context of a body of believers. The reality is you're going to fail. You're going to fall short. We're going to falter in these resolutions. That's to be expected. So Edward's third resolution, in fact, is something like, when I forget to do these resolutions, repent as quickly as I can and move on. Like, he knows that he's going to fall short. He knows that he's going to get, get distracted. And we're going to have those things too this year. But my prayer is that we would decide together to, to be resolved, to grow, to become more healthy as believers. So the first area that we're going to talk about, and this is where you're all, you, you should be in Philippians chapter four, but I'm going to put up on the screen Psalm 139 here in just a moment. So if you're taking notes this morning, number one, resolved recognize that we are holistic creatures. And there's a key word that I want to give you there. And the word is united. So we are holistic creatures. The word is united. The reality is you and I are bodies and souls. We are bodies and souls. We're not just souls with a physical body that doesn't really matter and neither are we physical creatures like animals with an unimportant mind. We are a unity of body and soul, which means that caring for both our bodies and our minds, our bodies and our souls, is vitally important as a believer. Now, sometimes we fail to understand that these two aspects of ourselves influence and affect one another. So if I'm anxious or worried, I might have physical symptoms. I might start sweating. My breath might get shallow. My heartbeat might start to raise. I might feel uh, tense. Why? Because there's this mental reality going on that's affecting my body. And the opposite is also true. If I'm physically exhausted and tired, I probably won't be thinking clearly. So if somebody gets really, really tired and really, really overwhelmed, then they probably aren't going to be uh, super clear in their thought processes. So we need to be aware of the need to care for our whole selves. So, so on the screen, you see Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. David says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He is talking about God crafting his body. You've, you put my parts together. You formed me as your creation. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Of course, he's talking about his soul. Of course, he's talking about his mind. But he's, he's also talking about the physical, tangible reality of who he is as a human being. It matters. Our bodies matter. 
when Raisha and I counsel students and adults with various problems, and we're having kind of a one-on-one initial conversation of one, what's going on with maybe problems in their life or struggles in their life, one of the first things that we'll ask is, how are you sleeping? Or, hey, how much water do you usually drink on a given day? Uh, what kind of activities do you like to do? It's not because those things are uh, instant cures, but if somebody tells me, well, I don't, I don't ever get enough sleep, I go to sleep late and I wake up super early and, and I'd never drink any water and I uh, have a sedentary job and I just, or I'm a student and I don't ever do any kind of physical activity, I'm gonna be like, well, of course you probably feel kind of frustrated and in a funk because those things are connected, they matter. So our relationship to our bodies need not be distorted by our culture, which says that you have to look a certain way or be a certain shape because that's the right one and all the other ones are the wrong ones. I'm saying that we believe God's word and confess that we as physical bodies were formed by God, that they're wonderfully made. So we take care of them. We give it what it needs. Make sure you're, I mean, this sounds like very like practical and not normally from a pulpit, but like drink water, get sleep, consider what exercise and activity might look like that you enjoy. These are great, great things to talk about with your parents. Like, hey, mom, dad, like I want to, I want to make sure that I'm taking care of my whole self, body and soul. So, so what does that look like in our family? What are some things that you think might be helpful? But it's not just physical health, right? Mental health is important too. We want to practice filling our minds with holy things. So you should be in Philippians chapter 4. I want to read this with you together, starting in verse 6. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. All right, so it's not just that we're taking care of our bodies, but we're also making sure to take care of our minds. We need to practice taking our thoughts captive and bringing them before the Lord, dwelling on those things that honor the Lord. So um, there's, if you're on social media, this is something that's like pretty common, but there's, there's a couple of channels where, um, or a couple of um, people who will say things about like intrusive thoughts. Um, and some of them are usually like kind of funny, but it's like, you know, they're like standing out on a bridge and they're just like, I wonder how, if I like jumped, how far I could get out. And you're like, what? You're like, no, it's just like intrusive thoughts. Like it just kind of comes into your mind out of nowhere. That happens to everybody. These like really random, weird, sometimes really crazy things that we think about. And, and often we recognize like, that's really weird. Don't need to be thinking about that right now. But there are other intrusive thoughts in our lives that, that have a tendency to put their hooks into us. And, and often we, we can't shake them. And so what we need is to recognize that our thoughts are not... Um, we don't need to let our thoughts have more power than they have. So, so what does this look like? If I want to practice thinking about the things that honor the Lord, taking my thoughts captive before the Lord, it means I need to cultivate or grow in some, some mental toughness. And again, this is a great thing to talk about with your parents. This is a great thing to talk about with your peers. It's a great thing to talk about with your leaders. I'm just saying like, I want to make sure that my mind 
is, is constantly reverting back to those things that honor Jesus. That, that when I'm sitting by myself and I'm just dwelling in my own thoughts, that I'm not spiraling into despair or spiraling into sorrow, but instead are, have this as an opportunity to bring my requests before God. This is, what, this is what Paul is saying in Philippians 4. Maybe you do have an intrusive thought of something negative in your life. That's, maybe we can learn that that's a prompt to bring that before God. Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit intercedes for us because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. If you were in equipping groups this past semester, maybe that thought that has come to your mind is the Spirit saying, hey, you need to pray about these things. Perhaps he's bringing those thoughts to you so that you might bring them back to him. And as we bring those things to the Lord, as we bring our whole minds to God, Paul says in Philippians 4, as we do those things, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So do you see the pattern here? As we bring our whole minds before God, his response to that is to give us peace and to guard our hearts. Hardship will come. Intrusive thoughts will find their way to your mind. Bring these things before the Lord. This was me even this week, right? Where, where sometimes it's, it's hard to believe things that we know are true, that we know to be true about God's word, that we know to be true about the gospel, that we know to be true about God, that we know to be true about ourselves in Christ. Sometimes if we're honest, we know that they're true, but they're just hard to believe, Perhaps it's because of some kind of sin in your life. Perhaps it's just because we're broken. And so what we need are people around us. Again, I can't do this by myself. You can't do this by yourself. We need people around us who can remind us when we are weak, the strength that God might provide. So that is the first section. We're going to fly through the rest of them. Uh, so we are holistic creatures, united, body and soul. To, to, so to grow as a healthy Christian means to be taking care of both our bodies and our minds. All right, number two, resolved. Recognize that we are temporal creatures, temporal creatures. And so the keyword there is limited. You have limits because you are a creature. Now, some of us are uh, allergic to this idea and particularly it's among young people. Like we, we think we're invincible, that we have endless energy, that we are you know, without any kind of threat. And, and perhaps as we get older, we become more aware of the fact that that is absurd. Uh, I don't know what it is about me, but like when I was in college and high school, man, I could uh, stay up all night with my friends and hang out and then like sleep for two hours or maybe not even sleep at all and then study and go take a test and like be totally fine. And then I got married and it's like something happened to my body where it's like 10 o'clock, I'm just like, and I can't, I can't do what I once could do, right? I'm more aware of the fact that I'm limited. I'm limited. So on the screen, uh, you'll see Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 and 16, which says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So there's two big ideas here that, that I want us to see. First, we have limits on our time and on our capacities, so we need to learn how to manage our time. We need to learn how to manage our time. We're limited in the fact that we only have 24 hours in a day. We all have so much going on, and so we need to learn how to prioritize what's most important. And here's, 
Here's maybe a principle for life that you may have never considered. Some of the most important things in your life will not seem urgent to you. So, so think about like a, maybe like a two-by-two two grid. You've got unimportant and important, not urgent and urgent. Most of the things that take up our time, if we're not thoughtful, are the things that are unimportant but urgent. The things that they come to our desk or they come into our lives and we think, oh, I have to do this right this minute or, or something's going to blow up, something's going to break, something's going to fall apart. But it's not super important in the grand scheme of things. And often the things that we throw by the wayside are those things that are important but not urgent, right? The Bible is not going to scream at you today if you don't read it. but it's important that we might dwell and meditate on God's law day and night, like the blessed man of Psalm one. So so it's not going to feel urgent, but it is important. So where do you prioritize spending your time with God? Where do you prioritize knowing his word or investing in the life of the body? Not just as a recipient at Lakeview, but as a servant, where do you prioritize the real responsibilities that are before you like school or work, et cetera, how are you managing your time? And you may, I may be saying this to you and you're like, I've never thought about managing my time. 2023 is a great year to recognize we have limits. I can't do everything. There's only so many things I can do. And by managing our time, we actually will recognize that there is more that we could do than we're doing now. I'll give you a great example. Uh, I'm not going to Docs anybody here, but I had a couple of students in my class in the fall who would say things to me like, uh, your class is so hard. And then I would hear them say, yeah, man, I waited until last night to read the material. So like, it can't be both, right? Like it can't be, oh, your class is so hard and I've procrastinated and I'm waiting till the last possible moment to do the work. And then I get to class and go, oh, this just doesn't make any sense. It's so difficult right? So if we learn how to manage our time, not just with school and things like that, although that's vitally important, but thinking about managing your time with God, thinking about managing your time in his word, managing your time in prayer of saying, this is important. And so I'm going to make time for it. Good is the enemy of the best. I can fill my schedule with good things, fun things, and that eke out the things that are most important. Again, we're going to feel, uh, there's a famous little book called The Tyranny of the Urgent. We, we often all feel this kind of oppression from those things that seem to be important, but maybe are not as important as we first thought. They're just, they just seem urgent. So how can we make the best use of the time? Evaluate your schedule. Evaluate your screen time. Again, these are great things to do with your parents. Right? What kind of wise counsel could they give you about how you organize your time in a given day? Because some of you, I understand, some of you, you don't make your schedule. Right? You're a student, you live with mom and dad, you're kind of just doing what they're doing. Right? So talk to them. One of the biggest things to wrestle with in this instance is the balance between slothfulness and laziness and rest. So the first thing that we need to think about when we're talking about limits is just the fact that we're limited by time. But the second thing that we need to think about is we're limited by energy. 
We just can't keep going. We're not the old commercial of the Energizer Bunny hitting the drum that just keeps on going and going and going. Well, we can't do that. We're limited creatures. But that doesn't mean we aren't diligent. So some of us think, oh, I'm just resting. I'm just taking a break. When it's probably more like laziness, right? I just don't want to do the things that I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to say, oh, I'm tired, right? No, I I remember, I I have this distinct memory. uh, Josh and I, when we were younger, we moved into a new house. We moved from Montgomery to Wetumpka. And, and one of the things, I don't know if you remember this, Josh, but we, we had to lay sod. So if you've ever laid sod before, nothing will sap your soul dry like laying sod, right? Is it, is it a, a mentally complex task? No. Is it a physically tedious task? A thousand percent, Right? And I just, have this, I just have this memory of we were out there all day just laying sod in the sun, sweating. We're just exhausted, right? And I'm like a young kid, so like I'm feeling pretty spry, right? And I'm thinking like, man, my dad is like killing it right now, you know? My pillow never felt more comfortable, never felt more sweet after a long day of work. And I think that's part of what it means for us to think about the rhythms that God gives us in his word. That he worked and then he rested. He worked and then he rested. And for us, the rest comes after our work. Now we look forward to a day where all that will be left for us is work in rest, right? The good news of the new creation is we, we, will, we will have the, the true and better Sabbath rest that Jesus offers us. But in the meantime, we practice diligence. We work hard. We make the best use of the time. And then we take a break. One of my favorite verses in scripture is the second part of Psalm 127 verse 2 that just says, He gives to his beloved sleep. God gives to his beloved sleep. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. We don't have to worry at the end of the day. We don't have to worry. Did I do enough today? We can evaluate how we did. We can make plans to get better. We can make plans to be more productive, but we trust the Lord who never sleeps and we take a rest. We're temporal creatures. We're limited. All right. Number three, number three, resolved, recognize that we are relational creatures relational creatures. And so the key word here is connected. Turn in your Bibles to Job, Job chapter two, Job chapter two. I'm thinking of four areas in your life where you have relationship. All right. You and I as human beings created in God's image are relational creatures. We're connected to one another. It's not good, God says, for man to be alone. That wasn't just an image of man and woman in marriage. That was a reality check for human beings, all right? So we're thinking about four categories. We're thinking about our friends. We're thinking about our family. We're thinking about the church. We're thinking about our neighbors, all right? So how do you relate? Who do you relate to? Here are four really good categories for you to just keep in mind all the time. I have my friends that kind of close-knit group of people that know me and I know them. I have my family, those people that I didn't choose, but God chose for me to live with and to be with and through thick and thin, right? I have my church family 
those people that, that God has brought together by the gospel. And then I have neighbors. I have those people that don't fall into any one of those categories and perhaps that they fall into a category of not knowing Jesus. And so how do I relate to them? How do I love them well? But I just begin with friends. You should be in Job chapter two. To give you the context, uh, God has uh, this servant named Job who is faithful. He's been blessed. He has a lot of wealth. He has a lot of family. And Satan goes to the Lord and says, you know, the only reason that Job worships you and praises you is because you've given him all this stuff. Watch, I'll let me take that stuff away and see what he does. And God in his providence and wisdom allows this to happen. He ordains this tragedy to fall on Job. So we pick it up in Job chapter two, starting in verse 11. He's lost everything. His wife is telling him, why don't you just curse God and die? This is what happens. Verse 11, now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Students, you need friends. And you need to be a friend. This is a, a gift that God gives to his people. That, the, that we would find friends. I, I experience, I'll just tell you, I experienced the care of friends this week like this. Friends who, who know me who know my usual temperament, who can recognize when something is not right. And instead of just trying to fix the problem, like I'm just a project that needs to be completed and turned in for a grade, they just sat with me. They lamented with me. They prayed for me. They just made me aware of their presence. They reminded me of the gospel. They reminded me of who I am in Jesus. We need friends. We need relationship. We need those people that God puts in our lives. So, so I say that to you to say, you might think about, okay, who are my friends right now? And, and what I'm telling you is, if you want to grow as a more healthy Christian, the, the top thing on the list of why we're friends, what if in 2023, the ones who are closest to you, that the top thing is not because we like the same sports team? or because we go to the same school, or because we have the same hobbies or interests? What if it's because we've committed to Jesus together? Like, what if my friendship is rooted and grounded in, I need you to be Christ for me when I can't see him? when I'm falling short, and I, and I need to be that for you. I want to be the encourager and the one who sits beside you and the one who calls you out when you're in sin. I need people, you need people who would be willing to wound you for your good, not to harm you, but to bring healing to you. Family, you've been given parents, guardians, siblings, and none of them are on accident. 
God ordained your family to be made up how it is, good, bad, and ugly. And I recognize as soon as I say that, there may be people in the room who say, you have no idea what my family's like. No, I don't, but I know scripture. I know Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery and told his dad that he was dead. I know the family of David is just full of model citizens. You know, like scripture shows us that everyone has brokenness. And that's not to mitigate or downplay the real circumstances that bring hardship and suffering in your family's life. But it is to say, God knows what that's like. He sees it. That didn't surprise him when he put you in that family. God ordained your family to be made up how it is. What is he teaching you as you grow as a son and brother, as a daughter and as a sister? And for the vast majority of us, obviously these are positive things. I want to be like my dad because he does these things. I want to be like my mom because he does these things. But perhaps you're learning in spite of them. Maybe it's David and Saul, right? David is looking at King Saul going, well, if I'm going to be king, it's not going to be like that. Jesus tells us, as an encouragement to you, if you have hardship in your family, that for all of the things that you might have to leave behind for the sake of Jesus, know that you would receive it a hundredfold. So, so just as, a, as an example, like Whitley and I come from families that are not devout in their faithfulness to Jesus. But we have people in this church that we look to like parents. Like, like those things that we maybe have not been given, the Lord has seen fit to give in other ways. Which brings us to our church family. The people in this room, the people in this building, still no accident. You've been given gifts from the Spirit to relate to your spiritual brothers and sisters, to encourage them, to love them. We'll talk about this on Wednesday nights in the spring. Our equipping groups are all going to be about the, the one another passages of the New Testament, but we have been given the gift of one another to show that we are needy and needed at the same time. And finally, we have neighbors, those around you in your life, classmates, teammates, coworkers, all of whom need to see Jesus in you. How do you relate to them? What's the connection there? You are gospel truth on display to your neighbors. You can really love them. You can really form relationships and even friendships with them. But the greatest, most loving thing we can do is display Jesus to them. Finally, we recognize we're bodies and souls. We're temporal. We're limited. We're relational. We have uh, connections to one another. And finally, number four, resolved, recognize that we are spiritual creatures. Spiritual creatures. And the word there is devoted. Devoted. We've discussed physical and mental health, time management, rest, relational health. Now we're on spiritual health. But the truth is that everything we've talked about up to this point has a spiritual component. So my purpose here as we conclude is to spur you on to make spiritual devotion through the means of grace a top priority for you this year. So Acts 2 should be on the screen. You think about the early church when they were first, when the church was born at Pentecost, how did they begin? This is what it says in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So, 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 so think about what that means. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they devoted, they devoted themselves to the word of God. 
They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to being with one another in each other's lives, to the breaking of bread. Most commentators would say that's most likely the Lord's Supper. So they gathered together for worship. They gathered together for communion. They gathered together as God's people. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. They prayed with one another. They prayed for one another. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. What are some ways that we can practice this devotion to Jesus in 2023? Word and prayer and church. Do you have a plan to read and study God's word this year? If not, get one. Make a plan. Use our plan. Do something different, but do something. Do you have a plan to pray regularly? Not just practicing making prayer a normal part of your life, like when Paul says that we ought to pray without ceasing. I mean, is there a time marked in your schedule where you say, I'm going to spend this allotted time with God in prayer? This is one thing I've been convicted about over the break. Just cards on the table. Like, I, I feel like I do a decent job of kind of praying throughout my day, some kind of rifle shot prayers in response to things that I hear. But I need to do a better job of saying, I'm going to carve out this chunk of time and guard it and bring to God my intercessions and my supplications. Are you involved in the rhythms of the youth ministry, equipping groups, foundations if you're in high school, region? I'm not saying you have to do all of it. But think about how you might invest your life in the body of Christ. These and others are great ways to avail yourself to the Lord. You may even consider discipleship. Right? There's an older man or an older woman in the life of the church who can come alongside you, walk with you, read with you, pray with you, ask you good, sometimes difficult questions. These are also, again, great conversations to have with your parents to say, mom, dad, I want to grow in my knowledge of the word. Where do you think I should start? Mom, dad, I want to grow in my prayer life. Where do you think I could do that? I want to grow in discipleship. If you still need help, Rachel and I would love to help you. We have resources available, options, ideas. That's a lot, I know. But I want to give you some time now to consider these things with your leaders and your peers. These four areas of our life all underneath the idea that we want to resolve to be healthy Christians.